You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Today, the date, uh, in case you didn't know, if you haven't checked your phone, is December 1st. And that should signify one main thing to all of us. Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. We have turned the calendar, right? The thing that we've looked forward to the last 11 months is finally here. It's only weeks away. Uh, I have friends, one of whom I may or may not be married to, that were talking about this day in July. (laughs) Emily asked me a question back in July, my wife. She said, you know what I'm really looking forward to? And it was July, so I thought, well, snow cones maybe or the water park, working on your tan. She's like, no, 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 Christmas. Christmas is what I'm most looking forward to right now. I can't wait for this season to come. I thought, well, you're kind of skipping over some things. My birthday's coming up. Your birthday is coming up. Thanksgiving, which we all overlook, right? We just had it a few days ago, but we always overlook it and look forward to Christmas. And I think a lot of that has to do with the things of Christmas. There's things that happen in this season for us that give us immense joy. We get time off work and school which is much needed for many of us. Uh, We get colder weather. It's not really cold weather in Phoenix, but it's colder. It's cold enough to build a fire and roast marshmallows. Uh, Eggnog starts going up in stores, uh, which may not be your thing, but it is near and dear to my heart. Um, Scientists have actually proven recently that eggnog is actually just liquid joy. That's what it's made of. Um, And and so I I partake. I would uh, invite you to partake as well. Uh, But if eggnog is not your thing, we get to open presents. We get to give gifts to one another. Uh, maybe it's hot cocoa with the little baby marshmallows on top while you watch Elf for the 242nd time, right? There's all of these things that we fill the Christmas season with, and they give us joy. Uh, it's evident in all of you. I just saw many of your faces smile and light up, just listing some of the things, right? Um, but as Luke sort of brought up uh, earlier, introducing Advent, Christmas is only one day, right? Christmas, the 25th of December, is one 24-hour period which means that much of our joy that we experience in this season is in anticipation of the day. It's not in the day itself, right? Which should make us ask, why? Why is it that we fill all of of this season, sometimes months, looking forward to this day? It's just one 24-hour period, right? Why do we fill our lives with Christmas markers? Well, part of it is because we know the joy that we've experienced in Christmas before. We know what Christmas has brought us already. And so we can look forward to it because we we actually experience the joy leading up because we've experienced it before. We know what Christmas Day brings us, and so we fill our lives with all of these markers that just show us the joy of this season right now. And it's this sort of anticipatory joy that Advent summarizes, that Advent tries to embody. Uh, Luke introduced it really well. This is a season that's been practiced and is practiced by millions of Christians around the world. Uh, Right now, there are people partaking in this Advent season with us. And it's a time for us to internally reflect and communally communally reflect uh, on the impact of Christ in our lives, what he's actually done for us, what his coming really means uh, and changes in our lives. And so we're going to be doing that in a a teaching series over the next few weeks uh, called Joy to the World. Uh, And essentially, we're we're taking the joy of this Christmas season and evaluating it uh, from different aspects, different views or levels. Uh, So the joy of Christ and what he brings to us uh, from different perspectives. 
Uh, and this type of joy that we get in Christ kind of mirrors the Christmas joy in a couple ways, interestingly enough, the, the joy that we get of the Christmas season as we experience it. Um, in one sense, in the same way that we know Christmas past and the joy that Christmas has brought us, we also are reflecting on the joy that Christ presently is bringing us right now in this moment. We're reflecting on the grace that he gives us, right? The immensity of the grace that he bestows upon us, that redeems our lives. Uh, we're reflecting on the love that he extends to us, that we want to continue to extend to the world. Uh, reflect, we're reflecting on the rest and the peace that he gives us in a life that is full of hurry, especially in this season, right? And if, if you don't know Jesus, or, or you're still kind of trying to figure out who Jesus is in your life. Maybe you've known him before and you're trying to rediscover him. Those are all things that he offers you right now in this moment. He has already arrived in the world and in our hearts and he is working in us. That's what Advent tries to recognize and reflect on. But we also know that we live in this kind of now and not yet reality as well, right? Just as the Christmas season is not always full of joy, right? Sometimes you have to sit around the table with people you really don't want to sit near. Sometimes you have to, to rush into traffic uh, and fight people for the last toy on the shelf. Sometimes there's pressure about how to give gifts or what to give for people. Those anxieties still exist in the midst of the Christmas joy. And our lives have similar anxieties. We still have to grieve much of the time. We still have anxiety and depression that we have to deal with, right? And so there's this weird tension for us. Yes, we've experienced the joy of knowing Jesus and what he brings to our lives, but we also know that he's coming again to fulfill that joy. That that joy is not yet completed, that we're still awaiting a union of heaven and earth eventually. And so Advent is supposed to live in this tension. And so we want to embody that as a community. Uh, so focusing on the concept of joy today, uh, we're looking at the joy of enlightenment that Jesus brings us. So if you want to open your Bibles with me here, or if you have an app that works as well, we're going to be in the Gospel of according to John, uh, it's the fourth book in the New Testament, uh, and I'm going to be reading from verses 6 through 9 in chapter 1. This series will focus on verses 1 through 18, and we'll kind of go at it in, in different ways each week. Uh, so just 6 through 9, but I am going to reference a few other verses uh, this morning as well. So if you want to follow along, John 1, verses 6 through 9. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that all through him might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that enlightens everyone was coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a book entitled John that was written by a man named John, and he's talking about John. <laughs> just want to clarify who we're talking about, who's writing, what's going on here, right? He's not talking in the third person, uh, which I've realized, actually, in conversations with Brent Porter uh, that I tend to do sometimes, and it can be weird and confusing. Um, John, the author, is talking about a different person who's referred to in other biblical narratives. His name, or what he's referred to is John the Baptist. Uh, and John the Baptist was uh, a forerunner of Jesus. He was someone who came beforehand. He was actually the, the last in a long line of prophets looking forward to the coming Messiah and King. That's who John the Baptist was. And it's a little bit odd at this point in the passage when we read it that he brings up John the Baptist. Uh, we didn't read it out loud, but the first five verses of this chapter are really famous over Christian history. Uh, it starts, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Greek word there is logos, 
essentially uh, what John is doing here, the author John, he's signifying the uh, ultimate um, identity of Jesus, who Jesus is in his coming into the world. And it's a philosophical, theological understanding of Jesus's identity. Uh, it's, it's kind of heady in many ways. And he's seeking to make the claim that Jesus is ultimate truth and reality himself. And then in verse 6, he shifts to talk about, about a guy named John, right? So he's moving from this highly philosophical understanding of Jesus' identity to then talk about somebody else. Why? Right? Why make that switch at this point? And I think one major thing that he's attempting to do is he's bringing that philosophical reality, that theological understanding of who Jesus is into flesh and blood. He's bringing it into history. He's pointing us to the fact that that identity of Jesus has actually come to the real world. He's locating transcendent reality in our actual physical realm. He's saying that ultimate truth, the source and origin of everything that we've ever known and can ever know, shined into the messy, dirty, beautiful, real world. The light, the truth, has not arrived as some ethereal, up-in-the-air ideology or philosophy. It has come to an actual point in history in the form of a person so that we might be able to experience relationship with him. The mention of John the Baptist here is intended to communicate to us the inbreaking of the spiritual upon the physical. This is an infiltration of the infinite upon the terrain of the temporal. This was eternity meeting humanity in a person who spoke, walked, breathed, thought, and ate. And this claim is radical. No other worldview or religion has quite been able to grasp the complexity of this union between the spiritual and the physical. Uh, generally speaking, there's kind of two main schools of thought in, in relation to worldviews, how people see the world. There's an Eastern understanding, typically as we categorize it, and a Western understanding. The Eastern understanding of reality is that we are only spiritual beings, and that our job as humans is to overcome the physical whether through shunning our desires or whether through admitting that it's all an illusion. And we just need to become one with the spiritual reality that is us. This is something Gandhi would have affirmed. Buddhists and Hindus and the like affirm this type of understanding of reality. It's pushing aside the physical and elevating the spiritual. That's who we are. And then the Western understanding, particularly in the last few hundred years, has involved the opposite. It has said the spiritual actually isn't something that we can prove. All we can prove about truth is what we can see with our ears, and our, or see with our eyes and hear with our ears. It's, it's the empirical data. That's where truth is located. And so we only are really physical beings. And so we need to pursue physical truth, things that we can prove empirically. But neither of these understandings of reality capture the complexity of who we are as humans. Because I feel certainly like a physical being, right? I feel like I have hands. I feel pain. I feel of warmth, right? I feel cold, particularly in this room this morning, right? We feel things. And so it doesn't seem right that that's just an illusion. It doesn't seem to capture well my experience, right? But at the same time, I'm not just a physical being. I mean, I go into mountain ranges and experience wonder that can't be empirically proven. You can't put it under a microscope, right? I look into the eyes of my significant other or my children, and there's a love there that transcends the physical, that goes beyond the physical realm, right? There's something about our humanity that is both spiritual and physical. And the author, John, is pointing us to the fact that Jesus is both. 
that Jesus, this ultimate reality, has come and brought together both of those realms. Ultimately, our humanity is made manifest most in Jesus. He captures the truth that we all experience. It's only in Jesus that the mystery of our souls can collide with this palpable and physical world. Jesus brings us joy in speaking to the entirety of both our physical and our spiritual beings, right? What a joy that we have that sort of truth, that sort of truth that's not just spiritual and not just physical, it is both for us. So that's uh, why John brings up John the Baptist here. He's locating him in in a historical reality so that we can better know who Jesus is, and so we can see the physical and the spiritual come together in our experience. And then he shifts a bit in verses 7 and 8 to talk about John the Baptist's role, why he came, what was, what was his purpose in life. And, and in verses 7 and 8, he tells us pretty plainly that he came to point to the, tr- to the true light of Jesus, to point us to who Jesus was so that everyone around him might believe. And I think that's partially written. We get evidence of this later in the Gospel of Luke. That's partially written because people thought John the Baptist was actually the one to follow, that he was the one who had truth, similar to how other religions view their religious leaders like Buddha or Muhammad, right? We just need to follow this guy. He's the one who has ultimate truth. And John the Baptist over and over says, it's not about me, it's about him. It's not about my life. It's about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the one I'm pointing to. It's not about me. And in this sense, John the Baptist is a reflection of the true light. He's not the light himself. And I've actually got a visual here that I think could be helpful um, for you guys. I know it looks like it came from a, a 1990 textbook, um, but it's simple and I, I think it works. So we're all familiar, I hope, with the moon, right? I, I think we know what the moon is. We see it in the sky. Sometimes it's brilliant. Sometimes it's yellow. Sometimes it's red. But we all know what the moon is, right? It illuminates the night sky for us. But the moon itself actually doesn't give off any of its own light. The moon is just a rock circling another rock. The reason we're able to see the moon is because it's actually reflecting the light of the sun to us. The moon itself is not the source of any light. The sun is the source of all the light. And in this same way, John the Baptist is a moon. He's a reflection of the true light. He's not it himself. And these sorts of reflections of the true light have existed throughout history for us as arrows pointing beyond themselves toward the reality of who God is, the reality of ultimate truth in Jesus. We get evidence of these things all over Scripture, right? Abraham and Moses, Samuel and David, Elijah and Isaiah, Peter and Paul, John and John, Mary and Mary. They're all reflections of the true light. They're reflecting the light and truth that is in Jesus. But we also can see these same reflections in our lives all the time. Maybe it's in the sacrificial love of your parents. Maybe it's in the honesty of your friends or significant others. Maybe it's the clear and deep joy of your pastor or mentor or teacher. Maybe it's in a song or a painting or a dance or a book or a movie. The light that we feel in each of these, the, the beauty and goodness that we feel, it is good. These are good things. But the reason that we see light in them The reason we recognize beauty in all of these things is because they are reflecting the ultimate beauty and goodness of God. 
They're reflecting the source. They are moons reflecting the sun. Consider the analogy a bit more. Consider what the sun does for us, right? The sun in the sky, that is. It illuminates everything. We wake up and we can see everything by the light of the sun, right? But none of us would make the mistake of saying that the things that are illuminated are the source of the light, right? We're not going to walk around and say that it's the grass or the trees or the birds or the people that are the source of light. We know that they're actually illuminated by the sun itself. In the same way, any spiritual light, any goodness and beauty and truth that we see in the world, it must come from a source. And John is saying here in this passage that they come from Jesus. And that in knowing Jesus, we actually get the joy that we've seen played out for us in small ways in all of these other reflections. That the joy of Jesus that, that is reflected in all of the world has come into our reality. Many things are lit, but there's only one true light. Many things are lit, but there's only one true light. So after talking about John the Baptist, John, our author, shifts again to now talk about that true light. He tells us in verse 9 that true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And there's a couple main implications, I think, that are important for us to identify when he says that true light was coming into the world. The first is that ultimately, if true light needs to come into the world, that means the world is in darkness. If light is needed at all, that means that the current illumination is insufficient, right? It means that right now we don't see clearly enough. And this is actually something uh, that most people throughout history have, have affirmed. Most worldviews have affirmed. Something is wrong with us. Something is deathly wrong. There's darkness everywhere. And the human response, in many different ways, has been to try to, to fix it, to try to work through the darkness and find light, find meaning, find purpose. We have this internal longing in our lives to do that. And so we fill our lives with reflections of the light, right? We search through the darkness, and we see, well, this thing seems good, and so I'll pursue that, or, or this thing seems good, and I'll pursue that, but we always find that the reflections of the light really don't give us the joy that we're looking for. They're never quite sufficient to fulfill us entirely, and so our longing persists perpetually. I mean, look at a few examples in our culture right now, right? Try money or possessions, right? We're sifting through the darkness and we see money, possessions, things. That's it. That's going to give me purpose. And so we get as much as we can, but we always find that we need a bigger house, we need a better car, right? We need more money. It doesn't quite satisfy us in the way that we thought. And this is true if you just look at people who get a lot of it. The people who get the most money, more than what they know what to do with, they end up feeling like they're the same people at the end of the day. That the money didn't satisfy them. To quote one of my favorite musical artists uh, right now, John Bellion, uh, he says this in one of the songs. He says, let me give the kids just a little help. Tell them money is not the key to wealth. Because if it could stop the pain, how do you explain a bunch of millionaires that kill themselves? Money does not satisfy. Money is not the true light. And so maybe we figure that out in the darkness, right? Maybe we switch and, and we look at a new light. It's got to be career or job, right? That's the thing. If I just reach the peak of my profession, if I become the CEO of whatever it is, then, then I'll have it figured out. 
but ultimately you're going to obtain that thing and find you're the same insecure person you were in the beginning. And you likely have had to ruin some relationships along the way to get there. You've likely had to elbow some people out of the way or step on some people. You've neglected friends or family to get to the peak, right? That will not satisfy you. Career and job are not the true and so again, we're in the darkness. Maybe it's love, right? Love has to be it. It's got to be romantic love. I've just got to find the one, the soulmate, the one that completes me, right? If that's a notion you buy into, I, I get it. I've bought into it similarly at different phases in my life. Ask anyone who's been in a relationship for any extended period of time if their significant other fulfills them completely, and they will adamantly tell you, no way. That person lets me down all the time. And being in relation with, relationship with them is beautiful, but they also hurt me deeply. And, and living with them or knowing them is challenging in many ways. Romantic love is not the true life. And we could carry this list on and on and on for hours. That's actually what we did for six weeks in the last series uh, here at the Spring Midtown. It's called How to Wreck Your Life. Uh, you can go and listen online if you want uh, some more engagement with some of those topics. Um, but ultimately, we realize in the darkness that none of the reflections of the light can actually fulfill us. None of them provide us with complete satisfaction or meaning because our souls are made for something else. They're made for something bigger. There's a terrific C.S. Lewis quote. Uh, we can throw it up here. I've got it on the screen. Uh, he said this in relation to our desire, our longing. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. And if that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage or reflection. All of the experiences of beauty that we get in the world, they're good. They are moons reflecting the source. And the joy that we get from them should always point us to the source of light that has come into the world. Our souls are stumbling through darkness. We're striving after reflections rather than the true source of light, and it leaves us perpetually empty. It's the human story. To quote Augustine, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. So that's the first implication of the true light coming into the world that the world needs true light, that it is in darkness, that we are living in darkness. But there's another clearer and grander uh, implication of the true light coming in the world. It's simpler. It's that the true light has come. It's that the thing that my soul was longing for, the thing that I was seeking out in those reflections has actually come. It is knowable in the person of Jesus. True reality and goodness that my soul has longed for has arrived. What a joy. That the thing that my soul most longs for, the one to whom my very being belongs, has been brought close so that I might know him. My constant pursuits of failing reflections in the darkness of the world no longer need to characterize 
my life, for I can know the true light. It has become vulnerable, stepping into earth to be known and understood. And this does two main things for us when we realize this and we allow the true light to come into our lives. One, it illuminates the wrong path that we have been taking. And two, it points us to the right path that we've been wanting the whole time. And I, I think there's a story that could be helpful in illustrating this principle. In college, I went to Grand Canyon University uh, here in Phoenix. Lopes up, a couple people know GC. There are some GCUers in here. Um, and in classic GCU fashion, uh, we were, uh, student, I was part of the student leadership team, and they actually, uh, as part of our scholarship, paid for us to go out and support the basketball team in a tournament in California. Um, classic GCU. And so we're getting out there. We're, we've got a bunch of student leaders. Super, super fun trip. Um, and so I'm staying in a hotel room that they paid for. Uh, it, uh, I was hanging out with some buddies, and, and we shared this room. And I, had to, I, I woke up in the middle of the night uh, one evening and had to use the bathroom. I didn't want to turn on the lights to wake them up, right? And so I'm, I'm stumbling through this, this hotel room that I don't know super well, going to where I think the bathroom is, and I slam my toe into the, the hotel dresser. We all have probably done that at some point, and it is the most excruciating pain a human can experience. Stubbing your toe on something that you didn't know was there is brutal, right? And I think this illustration can help us understand what the true light brings to us. See, if, if I had turned on the light in the hotel room, right, I would have actually seen, one, the wrong way that I was going, right? I would have seen very clearly that my toe was headed towards destruction, right? <laughs> And in the same way, the true light of Jesus points out to us the ways that our souls are headed towards destruction. It points out to us how we are placing our identities in the wrong things. Right? But it doesn't just leave us there, right? The true light, if I turn on the light in that hotel room, doesn't just leave me realizing that I've been going the wrong way. It actually will show me where the bathroom is. It will point me to the destination that I've been wanting to go to the whole time. It will point me to the place that my soul, or in that scenario, my bladder, needs to go, right? It will point me the right direction. The true light of Jesus doesn't just show us that we've been in darkness and walking towards destruction, because that would leave us without hope. It also shows us how to get to the destination we've been longing for all along. This is a conviction for us, but it's also a deep, deep joy. The true light doesn't just show us our wrong paths. It points us to the one we've been looking for the entire time. Jesus, the true light, does not take anything away from us without pointing us towards something better. Jesus will never take something away without giving us back something better for our souls. And when we realize this, when we come into relationship with the true light, we start to find that things change, right, in our lives, maybe slowly, often slowly for us. But we realize eventually that where lust once reigned in the darkness, love is taught by the true light. Where pride once governed in the darkness, the true light teaches humility. Where envy ran rampant in the darkness, the true light teaches where anxiety persisted in the darkness, the true light teaches us peace. Where hurry once rushed in the darkness, the true light teaches rest. Our souls find themselves satisfied 
only when they are illuminated by the true light of Jesus. There's a famous Christmas movie uh, that many of you have, have probably seen, and we're actually in this series going to be talking about a few different Christmas movies uh, because they do bring us joy and I think can be helpful visuals. Uh, the one I'm mentioning this morning is the old Claymation Rudolph. You guys remember? It was on TV for decades. It's, it's stop animation. It's, it's, I, Emily and I actually rewatched it, and it's, it's good to have it in nostalgia. We'll just put it that way. It's good to think back to it. It's better in memory than in actuality, but it's, it, is a, it is a fun story. Um, and in the story, you might remember, there's an island. The island is full of misfit toys. Because remember, the misfit toys, right? There's a, a train with square wheels that doesn't quite roll right. And there's a, a boat that can't quite float. There's an elephant with polka dots. And there's a, a jack-in-the-box that's not named Jack. There's all, <laughs> there's all of these misfits in the story. And they're stuck on this island. And the island is surrounded by fog and darkness. They don't know what to do. And they're downtrodden in their misfittedness. Something is wrong with them, and they can't figure out what to do. And then a character arrives whose name is Rudolph. Rudolph shows up, and he actually is a misfit as well. He's got a nose that's red, and it lights up, and it makes a weird noise. And he shows up to the island. He learns about these misfits, and he, he actually points them a different direction. He gives them hope. He talks to the misfits about how their misfittedness doesn't actually disqualify them, how their misfittedness can actually be reoriented towards something good. And so he teaches them that about themselves. But then he also says that he's going to leave and come back, that he's going to get them off the island eventually. And he does. Rudolph leaves, and he guides Santa's sleigh back to the island of misfit toys, and he rescues all of them from the darkness that they've been living in. We are the misfits. We are the trains with square wheels and the boats that can't quite float. And we're mired in this chase around a darkened world, trying to grasp at lights that are really just reflections, that really just flicker out. But that's not the end of the story. There's a light that has made itself known in the darkness, a light that is the true and real source of all things. And so the question for us in this Advent season is this, which light will we choose? Will we continue in our chasing of the insufficient reflections, or will we choose to have our lives illuminated by the true source of light? Will we choose to be enlightened? We're all going to leave this room this morning and be inundated by reflections. It's the Christmas season. You're going to turn on the radio and hear reflection after reflection of Christmas song after Christmas song. You're going to get ads telling you to go buy these things and that there's sales happening, right? We're all going to be inundated by the Christmas season. And there's joy there, but it's not the true light. Trees and tinsel, Santa and sleigh bells, presents and other paraphernalia, they cannot fulfill us in their entirety. But we can decide if we want to turn towards the true light. It's up to us whether we want to aim our souls toward the, the reflections or the real, true Jesus. Because he has shown into the world. He has made himself known. And it's up to us to respond. Will we have eyes to see? Would you pray with me?